Welcome to Emory University's Creativity Conversation podcast. My name is Maggie Becker. I am an Emory alum in theater studies and creative writing. I work with Arts at Emory, a communications and advocate team for all the arts events that occur on Emory University's campus. Part of my work with Arts at Emory is producing these podcasts. These podcasts are pulled from live recordings of Rosemary McGee Creativity Conversations, an endowed speaker series where renowned thinkers and creators come into conversation about their craft on Emory's campus. I'm joined today by Stipe scholar Dard Labrares to introduce and talk about the Rosemary McGee Creativity Conversation, Ultimately Human, with Ross Rawson and Ambassador Andrew Young. Hi, I'm Jared Lerabu. I am the Stipe Scholar for film currently. Stipe Scholars are essentially advocates for the arts on campus. Why did you pick this conversation? So I actually picked this conversation because I was able to attend an event run by the Ideas Fellowship, and Ross Rosson was at my table. I think that this talk between him and Ambassador Andrew Young really reflected a lot of the things that he was saying at this table. As well as, of course, I, I would choose one with Ambassador Andrew Young, um, indebted to those who fought for civil rights before me as a black student. What was interesting about Ross Rosson? What was he saying that was so fascinating to you? It was fascinating how deeply he peered into his own life and how passionate he was about the art of portraiture, which is something that I also do a lot of with my photography, as well as uh, videography. I focus a lot on character, focus a lot on color and documenting people who I find interesting. So you're a photographer and a filmmaker, and I, you also make music as well. Yes. What are some projects that you're working on right now? I'm currently working on an album with a student at Georgia State, as well as I'm working on scoring my short film Ghostwriter, which I worked on last year. We talked about with another Stipe scholar, Brianka Ranford, that there is, unfortunately in this society, always a political statement made by black bodies, whether they intend to or not. Brianka herself didn't actually intend to make political art when she made visual art. Her classmates and peers would end up putting political leanings on it. Do you intentionally make political art, or do you find that others sort of bring in this sort of civil rights or things like that onto the art that you make? I think that my spoken word poetry, which is my background, there's a lot of sort of political protests and conversation about blackness within the confines of that. And um, Ghostwriter also addresses blackness a lot. But I, I do think that a lot of times people do impose certain meanings on black art. And I, I think that a lot of people struggle with sort of trying to define themselves as an artist as opposed to just like a black artist. I also feel like there's a lot of racism involved in the fact that black art is thought of, that being a black artist or like black art is thought of as not being all-encompassing or universal because white art is universal and no one is called a white artist. And if you're called a black artist, it's not a bad thing because you're, you're, you're just as much an artist as everyone else. Did you find anything that Ambassador Andrew Young and Ross Rawson said to inform sort of the art that you're working on now? Not necessarily. I think I think one thing that was really interesting is that Carlton Mackey um, introduced them because Ambassador Young is very much, you know, like an activist and a political figure. Ross Rawson is an artist. Carlton Mackey is more like something that I would like to be when I get older, which is like an artist and an activist. How do you see yourself taking steps to become an artist and an activist? And do you see those two as something that's that has to be in a path together? Or do you think that it's like an artist space and an activist? 
I think that I, as a black artist for a long time, I thought that just by by my sheer existence and by my creation of art, it was inherently a form of activism. But I'm learning more about organizing and grassroots efforts that I can get involved with. I don't necessarily think that they need to intertwine. I think that me being black and being a second-class citizen in America informs a lot of my art and my perspective. I am also interested in, like, you know, just, like, making art. And I think also that you don't necessarily have to intertwine the two because it shouldn't be a political statement for you as a black artist to be defined as a black artist. That's very cool. I'm excited for all the projects that you're doing. Thank you for sharing your craft and for sitting down and talking about this creativity conversation. To our listeners, please enjoy this Rosemary McGee creativity conversation with Ross Rawson and Ambassador Andrew Young. Is it our ability to love and to love deeply? Or is it our seemingly innate need to be loved? Is it our unwavering faith or is it our deep curiosity and intellect that sometimes makes us doubt? Is it our strength, our power, our resilience, and our might? Or is it our fear and our thinking that sometimes we just can't make it? Is it the things that make us totally unique and distinct and one of a kind? Or is it that thread that's woven throughout the human experience that makes us actually not so different than anyone else? What is it that makes us ultimately human? Tonight, with the words from Tavares, the music from a gentleman named Okori, the art and spiritual insight of Ross or the wisdom of a man named Andrew. Four ordinary human beings who will teach us about what it means to be ultimately human or ask us to ponder the question even more deeply and who might just offer us some insight into just how extraordinary that might be.
what we choose. Choosing is becoming what we are. What we are is the darkest or brightest conception we can think of ourselves when in silence and alone we realize that we can be what we choose to be. We can be truth seekers. We can be dream makers. We can be the rainbow and the treasure of gold molded into one thought. We can be freedom. We can be hope. We can be the soul of the earth taking spilled blood and turning it into eternal life. We can be silence. We can be sound. We can be songs of redemption turning this world into hallowed ground. We can be hearts. We can be minds. We can be seekers who seek. We can be searchers who find and doors will be open as we knock and enter in. We can become prophetic words written into life's pages by the divine pen. We can be luminaries who walk planets like Earth and from first moments of conception and birth, we can build nations, we can build worlds, we can be the voice of truth liberating every man, woman, boy and girl. We can be healers and teachers and keepers of light. We can be the phoenix rising from its own ashes, growing new wings with which we take flight. And as we descend once more upon the earth as angels in human disguise, we who once walked ways of the foolish will walk ways of the wise, being resurrected. Every word spoken will carry the power of the divine, for we can be what we choose to be. We can be life reborn from death as the kingdoms of injustice and destruction are shattered and the reign of peace and love among all nations will be the only thing that matters for. We can be the calming breeze. We can be the raging storm. We can be the touch that heals or we can be the hand that arms. We can be the sound that soothes or we can be the voice of hope. We can be songs of triumph born out of broken notes. We can be jaded and scattered or we can be lost in the wind or we can be guiding lights renewing life for both foe and friend. We can be the life that perishes or we can be hope reborn. We can even be love and wisdom walking this earth in human form for being is becoming what we choose. Choosing is becoming what we are. We were molded and sculpted in light just as the bright and morning star. But if we could simply see ourselves in our true and sacred form, then the end of all madness would begin as heaven on earth would be reborn. For we can be what we choose to be. Yet, as we reflect on who we are, if we look to the left and to the right, we will realize that there's no need to wish upon a star. Because the moment of change begins, the moment our soul begins to rearrange our picture of what we imagine it is like to be ultimately human. Ultimately human is a call to be an image of the divine. Being those who understand that the rhythm to this rhyme is rewritten every time we begin to embrace the moment of being life.
being life for one another, being life for those we know as strangers but who are in truth are sisters and brothers. To be human ultimately means to understand that I might be the key to someone else's dreams. It means to understand that the world doesn't have to be so full of pain as it seems that this story is being written. It's being written in colors, in colors and hues that make me sometimes look at the difference between I and you. The difference between I and you is like a bridge that we cannot cross. But what happens when we begin to count the cost and realize that all is not lost because ultimately human means understanding that all of us are a precious gift. A precious gift that could heal the rift between the spirit, mind, body, and soul. Being ultimately human means understanding that even at the day that we were one day old, there was something worth much more than the weight of gold that was hidden inside of our spirit. Can you hear it? The breathing, the in and out motion draws us near it. Near that moment where we understand that even in our hands is a chance to become part of a divine plan where we begin to understand that ultimately human is recognizing the sacred strands of life link us all in one divine contemplation. And that is why Ross and Ambassador Young have gathered here to lead us in divine conversations of what it means to truly be alive. If we'll simply look to the left and look to the right, we'll understand that we've been put here to do more than survive. But ultimately human means understanding that you are the key to allowing the person who sits next to you to thrive. Ultimately human, the gift of being alive. Thank you as we welcome Ross Rawson and Ambassador Andrew Young to lead us in divine conversation. This has already been a powerful spiritual experience for me. Amen to that. I feel like I've been in church. How about another round of applause for amazing, amazing artists. I'm in tears, it's already. It's but it already wasn't just amazing. a spoken word. And it wasn't just a beautiful celloist. It was also watching your art. It speaks to us in ways that we don't usually listen. Thank you. Do you realize for a moment how fortunate we are tonight? Just in a week, the world will stop for a moment and pause to react to something that happened 50 years ago and change our lives forever. And to realize that this man is part of this movement, is part of history, just as much as Dr. King was and always will be. He was not only next to him side by side, he was not only in every step of the way taking the risks, the toil, the, the, the labor and the challenges of, of the time, but he continued 50 years later to carry the torch and spread the word of peace and understanding and, and nonviolent resistance to everything that is wrong with this world. Introducing Ambassador York in Atlanta is like going to Mecca and trying to introduce Prophet Muhammad. <laughs> Doesn't make any much sense, right? But 
It does, because we really don't understand much about Prophet <laughs> Muhammad. <laughs> okay. That... And we need very much to have modern Muslims understand the Prophet Muhammad. No, here's the thing. And it, modern Christians. It's all about interpretation. <laughs> about things. But, Andy, uh, what, what we tried to do tonight, the idea be behind this setting is, how, this is how our friendship started some 11 years ago in my studio. Same, same thing, paintings on the wall. We, you and I started talking and never stopped. And we traveled the world. I've been very fortunate to be with you in Africa, in DC, and various places, various functions. And try to understand you. And tonight, we'll talk about uh, various things, but more than anything, I would love to understand you better. I did it some eight years ago with your portrait. It ended up in the Smithsonian. Uh, people like it. That's nice. Uh, it's going to last there for centuries. This is beautiful. But tonight, how about getting closer to you? Everybody comes to you for advice. Good reasons. All, all the reasons in the world. Everybody wants to know what you think about this event or that event, this situation or that situation. But what about you? What about the human behind the legend? The reason we put a few images mixed together is legendary figures of, of today and, uh, and, uh, and, and history. We have Rabin, we have the Archbishop Tutu, Maya Angelou, and also street people uh, from India uh, and Africa. And the message is very simple, very clear. We're all humans. I hope at the end of this conversation we will understand better, slightly better, what is it to be human, to remain human, and in the same time to be great. Dr. King always said, it's easy to be great as long as you serve. You serve and you're, and you're great. How, how about that? Can we start from there? Can, can we start from serving? One of, the, one of the reasons you... I was here to talk about your you heart. Got <laughs> I wasn't here to talk about Okay, let's about talk about art a little bit. Yeah, that's let fine. me that's just fine say that, that what I saw... I remember Jeanette. Yes. Jeanette from the genocide of Rwanda. And we both met Jeanette. Mm -hmm. And literally hundreds of her, of her family had been slaughtered by people who fought each other because some were tall and some were short. And there was no difference in their cultures. They were all Roman Catholics. And yet a division sowed probably quite innocently hundreds of years ago created Hutu and Tutsi as differing clans. And the short people were Hutu, like us. Yeah, we're Hutu. And the Tutsi were the tall people. And the tall people kept marrying to only tall people. And they kept getting taller. And the short people kept marrying short people. And they only got shorter. And a hundred years later, they started killing each other. And nobody in the world could understand how their humanity, the subtle division of height, could produce a million deaths or more in less than 90 days. And this young woman came out of it with no hatred, 
no bitterness, and a willingness to say, let's forgive and forget and move on. I didn't know when I met you, I think I had just come back from Rwanda and I'd made a film on Rwanda because it was such a, it was, it was such a story of, of the troubles of the world and how little insignificant things can divide us. And you saw her, and I think I met her, and I think you captured something. I have my ways of dealing with the controversy of the world and the controversy of the human nature by trying to see uh, the complexity of a human character and human spirit. Uh, you, in, in Rabin's portrait, for instance, you mentioned it, and obviously you can see the soldier, but you can see the, the peacemaker too. You can see him talking to us, but he can see, you can see him also listening to us. And that's one quality which I observe uh, in you as this nation's one of the greatest leaders. You, can, you listen, and you always listen, but in the same time, you're a man of strong convictions and strong opinion. But, how yeah. do you keep the balance? How do you remain, uh, how do you remain sane? Let me ask you this question. Outside, you said, ask me provocative questions. There you go. Yeah, how I, do you remain sane in this crazy world and still by, loving By, by accepting your craziness and dealing with it and knowing that you're a part of the insanity of your time. Hmm. I try to see myself in my enemies as well as in my friends. I find myself right now being very, very filled with pain about my president. You said, because well, I don't know what I would have done with all them pretty women. <laughs> That's an easy just, burden. Thank God. Well, it's not let's, an easy let's burden. Let's talk about the easy burden. You want? Yeah. Once well, you an easy out. burden. An easy burden was a title I chose for yeah. my book because the Bible says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, hmm. for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think I am amongst all men and women on earth, amongst the most blessed. And I was blessed with father and mother hmm. and grandmother who not only loved me, but taught me not to fear and not to fear even death. My grandmother prayed to die every day because she was 80 and has lost her sight, and she didn't realize that she was there to make me read the Bible every day and read the newspaper. And I had to listen to her 80-year-old commentary. <laughs> you know, at, at eight or 10, I was probably wise beyond my years. And then on the corner of my house was the headquarters of the Nazi party. Hmm. I was born 50 yards from the German-American Bund in New Orleans on Cleveland and Galvis. And I was 50 yards on Cleveland from the German-American Bund. And at four years old, my parents had to explain to me, my father particularly, about white supremacy and Nazism. Hmm. And he said, this is a sickness, and you don't get angry and upset at sick people, or you have, you're in danger of catching the sickness. And he took me to the movies, and that's how we got the Olympics in Atlanta. <laughs> because at four years old, I went to see the Berlin Olympics on Movie Tone News in a segregated theater in New Orleans. And he said, now watch Jesse Owens. And when Jesse Owens won his first race, Hitler was supposed to give him the Olympic medal. And instead, he got angry and marched out and took all of his stormtroopers with him. Hmm. 
And my father said, now watch Jesse. If he'd gotten upset, he might have not been as sharp as he was, but he did not pay any attention to Hitler's sickness. He just went on and won three more gold medals. And he said to me, you don't get mad in a struggle, you get smart. And you don't get mad at people. And Dr. King said the same thing. He said, when we went to Birmingham and we met with Birmingham business people, he said, look, we're not, we're not blaming you. You had nothing to do with the fact that you were born white. And we had nothing to do with the fact that we were born black. But we have to face the fact that we were born in an unjust situation. We're not blaming you. We're just saying that we have to come together as brothers and sisters, and we have to remedy this unjust situation into which we were all born. And I think that by giving your opponent always a face-saving way out, mm. which is hardest to do with your wife, your husband, and exactly. your children. <laughs> yeah. This is my critique. I looked up here, and there are two of your paintings that I know that are missing. One is the painting of Ted Turner. And I say that because Ted Turner is the quintessential Southern white male. And he has grown up with all of the problems and crudities of his heritage. Mm. But you captured in your portrait of him a saintly quality. And it was the saintly quality that made him donate a billion dollars to the United Nations. People couldn't understand that. They thought he was crazy when he started talking about CNN. There was a lot of judgment on Ted. He was hard of hearing and he talked too loud. He was not the cool, smooth, mm. sophisticated Southerner. But the other one that's missing really is the uh, picture of a white female that I like the most. Is the one, the abstraction you did of your wife. And it shows the complexity of women, the beauty of women. I mean, it's very, very complicated. Oh, yes. And, <laughs> and yet it says that you were a brave man <laughs> to marry a woman or that crazy, complicated crazy, and beautiful. <laughs> or, or crazy enough, crazy enough. I, I, I will go on to say that just uh, I just finished reading Coretta's book, which was published after her death, My Life, My Love, My Legacy. And I realized that there probably could not have been a Martin Luther King had Coretta not gone through the pain and experiences that she had as a teenager in rural Alabama. Hmm. And she never tried to hold him back. Hmm. She was always pushing him forward. And of course, my first wife, Jean, came from the same little country town and had the same kind of bitter, miserable experiences. And so when people ask, how did I keep on and how did he carry on? It was basically because we married well. They saw a spiritual potential in us that we didn't see in ourselves. And they never let us indicate any cowardice about life or ideas. They always encouraged Whatever wild, creative, or dangerous vision that came, they said, go for it. Unbelievable. Amazing. Amazing women. That's <laughs> big round of applause. It's unbelievable. If you don't marry a woman smarter than you, you're not giving your children much of a chance. <laughs> <laughs>
And then you have to no, listen to it. The person next to you needs to get the best out of you. That's one of the indications that you, you have the right partner, the right lover, the right spouse, isn't it? If you come to think about it, the, the best out of you. And the best in, in, in Dr. King, or in you, was exactly this. Humanity comes at us in all kinds of ways. I'm from Bulgaria, moved in this country 17 years ago. Started painting when I was six, now I'm 54, so 48 years of doing nothing else, basically. And uh, every day I learn something more uh, about this country and about and how amazing it is, about how complex it is, but also about the world, how uh, unbelievably complicated it is. Let me ask a question which I wanted to ask you for years now. When I was still back then, that's why I mentioned Bulgaria, when we listened to Ray Charles or Louis Armstrong, Whitney Houston, when they come, for us they were uh, American stars. Nobody said they're black. Nobody said they're African-American. No, no, they were American. <clears throat> Muhammad Ali, just great, great America. When I came here, I learned that there are some labels, some things going on. Of course, I knew about Dr. King, but that, that was theory, and, I, and then I realized that the reality of everything. Where I'm going with this is this. To me, the very idea of race, that's why the, the exhibition is just like this, the way you see it, is old and wrong on so many levels. We are much more alike, not, 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 not just spiritually, but genetically and everything, then, then we are different. People from the same tribes uh, in Africa, the same groups in Central Europe or whatever, are much more different. So just the, the, the appearances or some uh, uh, skin tone or whatever uh, doesn't, doesn't make any, any justice to use a term which is three centuries old. It's, it, it comes from Italian, Misrasa, which uh, you know, uh, represents some, uh, some visual differences. Let me ask you this question. Isn't it about time to forget altogether the very idea, the very concept of race. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe let's talk about, let me throw it back at you, that I love and learn from Dostoevsky. I'm afraid of Putin. Both are Russian, but almost everywhere in the world, in Iran, they're the mullahs and the Khomeiniites and yet in Iran, more women were elected to the parliament in the last election than men. And here's Saudi Arabia now, an ancient kingdom with a 31-year-old leader trying to bring that country along and having been set back maybe decades by fearful old men who wanted to keep women in their place. I'm saying the difference is real. And I don't think we can forget it or overlook it, but I think we can come to appreciate it. Most certainly. The, the reason, I mean, I, I, I'm very comfortable, very proud, very much at home with myself having been born of African-American descent. But uh, I remember my grandmama's maiden name was Chernowski. And so somewhere back there, that's close to Bulgaria. <laughs> <laughs> That's, this is really scary. <laughs> no. I'm saying that we are a human family. The cello shouldn't sound like the violin, and the violin shouldn't sound like the bass. And I happen to like the French horn. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that Dr. King's, Dr. King's metaphor was a symphony, that a symphony of brotherhood. Unbelievable. 
Ambassador Andrian. Well, Ambassador and everyone, we, we have a special gift that we would like to, to give to you through Okori's cello and through words of poetry, but we have some special guests who are going to assist us in that. We have six students from Emory who have been listening intently and have just been allowing their hearts and their minds to be moved. And, and if they could, if each of you could come forward for just a moment and face the audience, please. So now this is going to be a very um, unique offering that we're giving to you, just as you heard pieces of poetry at the very beginning that you never heard before. This third piece will be very much in that same vein. It will be a poem that you've never heard before, but, we'll, but what will make it a little bit different is that it will also be a poem that I've never heard before. We're going to allow the spirit to move through the words that our our cohorts, our young cohorts are going to give us. But just like the musical piece was a piece that you've never heard before, you will also hear a piece from a quarry that you've never heard before because this is a pure organic moment. And so what we've asked them to do is write down words that, that move them as they've heard this conversation. And so to start us off, we have to um, help Okori build the track, so to speak, in, in studio parlance. So, um, could one of you all give me, not that word that's on your whiteboard, but a word that just captures the energy of tonight? Because of Corey needs it to build the first part of the composition. Compassion. compassion. Corey, what does compassion sound like to you? what compassion sounds like. Another word. Sacrifice first and then forgiveness, Okori. together sound like. And now we hear the message being played. Wayne, could you give us a title for this poem? World of People is the title for this poem. Now, every 20 seconds or so, our students are going to utter their word into the atmosphere, and y'all just pray with me that it will be delightful what you hear as this poem continues. A world of people. A world of people 
caught in images of bravery. Not images of slavery where we feel contained, but a world of people who begin to reframe and reshape and reclaim what it means to be alive. Because being ultimately human means that we understand that we must do more than survive, but we must thrive like eagles who fly high and soar towards the sun, knowing that when the storm comes, they don't seek shelter and, and, and remember not to run, but they begin to fly high, high into the atmosphere, flying above into the stratosphere until their vision becomes clear. A world of people are drawing near. And as they draw near, we understand what it means to have resolve. To have resolve that helps us to understand that every problem presents us with things that can be solved. I'm talking about picture-perfect melodies. Do you know what it means to be caught up in a melody of love, a melody of light, a melody of peace that reminds us that even when we feel that our wings are broken, there is a healing wind reminding us that our, wheel, our wings are being healed so that we can take flight. And I'm thinking about the darkest nights. I'm thinking about the darkest nights and trying to live in the tension between the night and the day. I can remember my grandmother when she encouraged me to pray and said that it won't always be this way and so that's why I also remember memories of my mother who was like this divine cover reminding me that one day I might have to walk alone but even if I walk alone she told me don't get caught up in that loneliness syndrome because somewhere on the path you will find other sojourners who are walking with you and they will encourage you to be the best you that you can be but if you understand that you are only as valid as the we whom you've become you see there's a world of people there's a world of people living under the light of the sun and when we become together as one we understand that redemption can be that sacred song yes redemption this is my story and this is my song and maybe that's why there's this 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 melody of praise that is beating in my heart all the day long because I look upon this stage I understand that we are in the presence of a sage, a sage who has lived, a sage who has given, a sage who helps us understand that this gift that we've been given called life is something so precious. It's something so precious and a seed has been put inside of us that can help us endure. And I'm understanding what it means to be inspired because when we become inspired, do you know that we might be the cure? We might be the cure to the madness. We might be the cure to the sadness. We might be the cure that helps us understand that even out of suffering, there can come a, a gladness, a gladness that shines brighter than the light of a billion suns. And do you know that our dreams can come together to form one, one, one melody, one hope, one dream, a world of people who understands what it means to be a symphony. Because see, when symphonies come together, it is like we help us understand that we can weather the storm. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be one so consumed with change and hope that we recalibrate all norms, recalibrate all norms and help everyone understand what it means to be made in God's divine form? Because when I look into your eyes, I see peace beginning to rise and I see peace helping me understand that even as my dreams seem to disappear, that a day is coming clear just like the sunrise. And I'm remembering that sunrise that I first saw in the year called number one, when I began to embrace the gift of being my mother's first son. And she reminded me that even as these days become done, that as long as I can pray, God's kingdom would come. And I see it right here. It is right in front of me. It is right in front of me as I see the sacred nature of your face. 
and I'm beginning to understand that the gift of grace is to realize that one people in one world can become the images of little boys and little girls who became the hopes and the dreams of those who had prayed before we even came upon this scene. And right now, I think it's time for me to break the fourth wall. I'm breaking the fourth wall so that we all can understand that we are part of a divine call. You see, there need be not any separation. All we must do is allow our minds and our hearts to dwell in one contemplation. One contemplation of what it means to be ultimately human. Human ultimately is the dream. And I hope that somewhere between the moment that you enter this door and the moment you leave, that in the midst of this time, you've understood that being ultimately human means embracing the gift of being divine. God bless you. a hand for Ambassador Young and Ross Rawson. Please, please. Thank you for listening to this Creativity Conversation. This podcast was brought to you by Emory University and Arts at Emory. It was produced by Emma Yarbrough and me, Maggie Becker. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and follow us on Facebook at Arts at Emory and on Instagram at Emory Arts. Mm-hmm.